You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Tahir Khalid. And uh, we've really. Let's start, let's start with the good news. Okay, let's ha- start with the good news. And what would that be? I mean, well, a lot of people have had uh, very good results coming through. Oh, yes, yes. And. Yeah, I mean, you're very lucky as well. Your kids got good results. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week, last Thursday was A level uh, results, and um, yeah, you know, my my boys, uh, both of them, twin boys, uh, just got their results, and they did um, as predicted, if not better. Um, but you know, my heart, well, prayers go out to all those that didn't do as well, and are kind of like scrabbling for places through clearing because yeah, yeah. it is a very nerve-wracking and anxious time for parents and students as well there was um, this um I, I don't know if it was itv or another tv station they were obviously going to the students when they were opening their letters mm-hmm. and there were videos of some children or some kids some, who had uh, opened their a-level results and didn't get what they expected yeah um was much worse and then they had to open it on, as in live, live on air. Yeah, you know, you can imagine. And the, um, I mean, they were heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. I think you some can complaints imagine. came through as well. Well, you see, the thing was, uh, I, uh, along with Missbury, a lot of pre- uh, parents prior to uh, last Thursday were quite anxious because of the, um, I suppose, uh, what we'd seen in the news regarding Ofqual, um, saying that at least uh, in 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 the region of eighty odd thousand A's, uh, the quota, right, would be reduced uh, this oh. year round because um, of previous years uh, just inflated uh, figures and uh, results for A levels, and you've got to remember it was pandemic the yeah. the year before was the pandemic so a lot of that uh, the results were driven by teacher assessment and uh, the yeah. actual students not actually taking exams yeah. so this was quite a quite a quite a big step really for all those a level students who had most probably their first year of a levels um interrupted by covid mm. um and not actually uh, doing a, a exam in exam uh, in environment, i.e., their GCSEs were mm. were um, teacher assessed. So it's quite a you know if if we all, I mean I can't, I mean it's so kind of in the dim and distant past trying to remember my A levels, but I I do remember thinking that you know they were the hardest exams um, academically that I, I you know that I I, I ever did because it was such a step up from O levels. Um, and then, you know, when you go into doing the degree, it's much more, I suppose, uh, I wouldn't say easier, but uh, you have a lot more uh, hands-on with your tutors mm. uh, and you're more motivated then, I suppose. But um, in terms of A-levels, it really is a step up. And, uh, you know, like I say, my prayers all go out to those parents uh, and students who are, you know, scrabbling around for a place in clearing. Yeah, and I think was it this week that we have... Uh or when's the when's the GCC results coming up? I I, I don't know to tell you the truth. 
I think it's either this week or next oh. week. As in, it's it's like one or two weeks after. I I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is. Um, but either way, uh, we do hope that uh, all of those uh, who have uh, taken the exams, that they get the results that they wanted. Mm. Uh, hopefully, even better. Um, and if not, if not, then um, then uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously. It is what it is. But it is. You know, it's very difficult to to bear that news. But mm-hmm. I mean, you shouldn't really try to um, uh, get overwhelmed by it. And of course, I mean, there, you can continue trying harder. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, uh, that's and the not, thing. And not give up at the end of the day, really. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to have um, plan B, plan C. Yeah. And it isn't the end of the world if you don't get the results that you you want because. Um, because of the backlog uh, in places and uh, take up of places at university anyway, um, it may be, you know, consider a, uh, a different career choice or a different way of getting into the subject that you want, i.e. maybe through uh, apprenticeship, maybe through being an intern. Um, and, you know, there are many ways and, you know, I would uh, urge uh, all students and uh, parents to get in touch with their sixth form and their careers tutors. But yeah, we 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 kind of like uh, moving off the topic because normally on a on a Monday you wanted we, to talk about something else. No, no, I didn't. Which I didn't which, which uh, <laughs> would have uh, no. We'll, we'll leave the elephant in the room uh, yeah. because that that will be well. We'll soon see what happens there. Around about most probably around about eight o'clock tonight, we'll know the result of quite a big match. And uh, the ramifications for Manchester United. And you know what? There's there's an even bigger protest happening. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that yeah, I think it was last year's protest mm-hmm. which cancelled the game. Okay. Manchester United versus Liverpool. So, uh, so this is the pro- it's, uh, this protest is actually going on before the game tonight. Yeah, just before. Oh, okay. So it could, I mean, potentially. Uh, hinder the players coming in. Mm. I think that's what happened last time. They weren't able to leave the hotel to get mm-hmm. to the to the stadium, um, and same with Liverpool. They weren't able to get there. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that happens again. Then it's a big message to the owners mm-hmm. that we don't want them. Okay, but um, yeah, who's gonna? I mean, I did see this funny tweet saying that, and in fact, uh, Elon Musk said uh, had uh, counter tweeted that yeah I'm not in the market to buy yeah. Manchester United yeah. oh, I don't know what night, would happen there my heart was I, <laughs> I don't know how long I stayed up till just like see, waiting for a follow up tweet and that uh, came like three hours later yeah because um, you never know with uh, someone like Mr Musk yeah regarding that but anyway um, our show today uh, is quite a theological one and we're going to be delving deep into the religious aspect and you know the, our first hour will be looking at Shahada, yeah, the existence of God, uh, the profession of there being a oneness of God. Uh, and following that, in the second hour, we will be looking at angels, you know, the, the agents of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the different aspects of God, uh, oh, sorry, the different aspects of angels. And their, I suppose their, 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 their etherealness, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, how it can actually touch us uh, even you know, in our in our lives today, you know, in the real world, uh, is it such a, I suppose, mythical quality, or actually, is it a real kind of like a, a day-to-day uh, occurrence? But mm. uh, let's jump straight into our first. Topic I mean, this this day. is uh, this is such a, an important topic, particularly with um, with everything that is happening in the world today. Mm-hmm. We are seeing 
that we the world is turning further and further away from from God mm-hmm. and this is what his holiness actually said in in yesterday's final session speech at, mm-hmm. at the annual convention of Germany Germany yeah that um, the only way we can really establish world peace I mean we've got a number of different crises which and like critical situations which are happening mm-hmm. are taking place right now around the world and the only way we can find a solution is for mankind to turn to God to turn to their creator mm-hmm. it's because of this lack of awareness of God Almighty or the lack of I mean that not realizing that God is the creator mm-hmm. that our lives belong to God mm-hmm. that we've decided to that the ego has come in inside man mm-hmm. Um, and they've decided to make their own rules and go against the rules of God. Mm-hmm. And when you go so much against the rules of God, so far down the line against the rules of God, then this situation happens. Or what we're seeing now is where war mm-hmm. is looming upon us. Um, and well, we're seeing the you know it, ma- it, it, man's um, worst trait amongst many, which is greed. Yeah, and. Uh, Greed aligned with materialism. Yeah, it's because these rights of mankind aren't fulfilled because the rights of God are non-existent. Mm -hmm. You forget that there's a creator who has told you that there's his own rights that he has. Mm -hmm. And then there's the rights of your neighbors, your fellow human beings, your your neighbors across countries. It's it's, it's forgetting, you know, that you are actually, like you said, created. Uh, We are all created and thus are... Um, under a higher set of rules, and when we transgress those rules, we think that uh, in the in in the you know material life that we're living now, this transitory time, whether it be seventy or eighty years, mm. um, if you live out your lifespan now, and it's to feel that uh, that is your only, I suppose, uh, blip in existence. Mm. But actually, the true I believe the true recognition of the oneness of God and the recognition of one's creator brings you to that realization that actually this is uh, in your journey through life and into the afterlife is but a momentary blip. Mm. Because you you think, you know, the afterlife is an eternity, right? And, you know, if you compare that to, uh, or, yeah, if you compare that to 80 years, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no comparison, yeah. right? So it's having that um, that lack of true belief in the afterlife and thus the connection to your creator that has created actually all this um, unrest, mm. you know, this greed in the world, this human greed of which, you know, we... we and. The second part, I think, that you were like saying to uh, Tahir was that, you know, that there are two rules for uh, Muslims. One is the, uh, you know, to, to, to worship God. The second is to, you know, worship humanity, right? And to the rights of humanity. Fulfill the rights of humanity. Yeah, to yeah. fulfill the rights of your fellow neighbor. And thus, if you can't do one, you can. You know, it follows that you're you're not going to fulfil the second one. Yeah, and and with regards to that, God Almighty has also said that. Look, if you, my rights are secondary. The rights of mankind come first. Mm-hmm. He said, for example, one of the rights of God are that we we offer prayers. 
that we worship God Almighty. We recognize that He's the Creator. We we proclaim it, and that was that's what we're talking about—the proclamation of our faith, mm-hmm. um, in profession. The, uh, profession, and that belief mm-hmm. in God Almighty. But at the same time, so and that requires that we we pray uh, to God five times a day as Muslims, and we we worship Him. But then God Almighty has said that look, if you're worshiping me, you're praying, and uh, at the same time, there's your fellow human being is in need. Then forget my rights, fulfill their rights, look after them, solve their problems, help the your fellow man. So, the these rights of mankind have a, a great importance, um, and without fulfilling, without recognizing them, without understanding what they are, you will always be unable to fulfill the rights, and of course, at the end, complete your purpose of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is that when people look at Muslims. They look at they look at us as obviously what they see in the media. Muslims are um, evil. They act uh, unjustly. They're unkind. The way they treat women, mm-hmm. um, they steal their rights, and so on and so forth. This is what the media proclaim and portrays of of Muslims. Um, but when they in like what we're doing today, um, and there are many people who understand that the true and beautiful teachings of Islam. And when they come to know of, of what these these rights, what these tenets of Islam, what they mean, they're, they're really blown away. Mm-hmm. Some people, I mean, even His Holiness mentioned yesterday as well, that when people come to know about the truth of Islam, the beauty of Islam, how it, how it, um, how it aligns with your nature, mm-hmm. that nat- the natural state of man, then there, there's nothing which can be more fitting, really. Mm. But do you think that we've come to a place now um, in terms of social conscience let's say say for instance just in this country because you know we live here that um, regardless of the truth that we see in our eyes and that we hear that we still clamor to the untruth Mm. right and what I mean by that is you know the politicians that we are led by uh, we've seen have actually improved to be, you know, um, for want of a better word, uh, lying to us. But because we are so, I suppose, uh, you know, our, our moral compasses uh, in general have been, what's the word, damaged. Yeah. Okay. That we are not going to believe the truth or we find it hard to believe the truth. Mm. And I'll give you a a case in point. Um, Let's say Brexit, for instance. And what's happened over the weekend? Well, we've had water companies pumping raw sewage into the waterways and into the sea. Mm. And this has been allowed by the government. And it's come to pass, or it's, you know, the the truth has seen the light of day, that actually... One of the um, reasons this has been allowed by the government is that the water companies don't are not able to procure the chemicals required to clean up that sewerage because of what? Because of Brexit. Mm. So this is, you know, the truth of the matter. But still, the majority think that Brexit is a good thing. So this is, you know, my case in point that actually this is the truth of it. Brexit has really hobnailed this country, right? Mm. But are we about to wake up? And it's the same with 
the oneness of God, mm. right? And I think that that comes to another aspect of the show, and uh, we're jumping to way ahead of what we've actually planned to discuss. Yeah, true. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> before we jump onto that aspect about the oneness of God, and, and I think Trinity comes in this as well, mm-hmm. um, and of course how we've turned away from God that we've now made idols, and mm-hmm. we've we we now have a number of gods, mm. um, but. Before we jump onto that, I mean, as we know, the the declaration or the or the shahada, as is known in Arabic, um, it, which is of course the the first pillar of Islam, uh, and that is to declare that there is no god but Allah, and that Muhammad is His messenger. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, and um, we we look at what um, if we look at what the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has has said about the importance of the oneness of God or this declaration uh, this proclamation of your faith um, he states in one, narrat- in one narration that um, this is narrated by Osama bin Zayd that the messenger of Allah sent us to Huraqat which was a tribe in Juhayna and we attacked that tribe early in the morning and defeated them and I and a man from the Ansar caught hold of a person of the defeated tribe when we overcame him, he said, There is no God but Allah. At that moment, the Ansari spared him, but I attacked him with my spear and killed him. The news had already reached the apostle. So when he, so when we came back, he, he said to me, Osama, did you kill him after he had made the profession that there is no God but Allah? I said, messenger, O Messenger of Allah, he did it only as a shelter. So he only professed mm-hmm. that, that proclamation or that shahada as, um, as a shelter. The Holy Prophet observed, Did you kill him after he had made the profession that there is no God but Allah? And he kept on repeating this, uh, and, and he kept on saying so forcefully that he had, this Osama says, I wished I had not embraced Islam before that day. There's another narration um, where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that, Did you cut open his heart and see whether he was lying mm-hmm. or whether he was saying it to save himself or whether, whether he was saying it? Uh, out of out of his sincere belief, mm-hmm. so this proclamation as as Muslims we we make this proclamation, and this comes to another very deep discussion, um, which we can touch on briefly about how people around the world, Muslims, when they proclaim that they believe in God, that they believe uh, that there is one God, that they believe in the Messenger of God, other Muslims, other sects, then say that you're not a Muslim. Mm. That you are, let's say, a disbeliever. You're yeah. outside of the fold of Islam, and this is what's happening to a number of different sects, but particularly the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, where they are now persecuted because of this belief, mm-hmm. because they claim that we are, we claim that we we are Muslims. Mm-hmm. We claim that we believe that there's one God. We we claim that we believe that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the last law-bearing prophet. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't accept this. They don't accept this. They don't accept our declaration of faith, mm-hmm. which goes against completely what the Holy Prophet professed, what mm-hmm. he teached, what he practiced. And once again, this is not accepting the truth of your eyes and your ears. Yeah, there's right? a, there's another narration as well <laughs> where he said that um, the Holy Prophet was coming back from a battle, and he said, "Write down for me." He asked for like a consensus, and he said, "Write down for me." Whoever states by that by their tongue that I am Muslim, um, and then I mean 
so his his I mean everyone who was there at that time they their names were were noted, but the 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 essence behind this is that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him only only recognized them as only took their word of of tongue that, that because of them proclaiming that I'm a Muslim they were accepted as Muslims, mm-hmm. whereas nowadays. What we're seeing is the completely different. We're seeing something completely different where when people claim that they're Muslims, then they are ridiculed uh, by mm. Muslims, by other Muslims. They are declared as uh, disbelievers, as kafirs. They're, mm-hmm. they're declared outside the fold of Islam. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is going completely against the teachings mm. of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, so this was actually on that um on the importance of actually the declaration um, of why the, the differences that people have on this but in, coming back to the, the oneness of God um, and we, we spoke about this with uh, in the beginning that when you are when you turn away from God when mm-hmm. you turn away from that belief in God the, the, the rights of God then of course you you have again you come in this situation where you are completely um, far from him, mm-hmm. morally, uh, ethically, um, and you, you can see because of that the the greed you pointed mm. out. Well, chaos reigns then. Yeah, yeah, chaos reigns. But to talk more regarding this, we're joined by uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan, uh, our missionary in Ireland. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, Imam Ibrahim Noonan Saab. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Pleasure to have you here with us, Imam Noonan. We're, we're talking about the, the, the oneness of God um, and, and the importance of recognizing God. But before we go into the scientific aspect, can you discuss uh, and let our listeners know about the importance of recognizing the Creator before you can touch on the scientific aspects? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, uh, I think both of you have uh, articulated that pretty well. I mean, the main thing here is um, if you study uh, religious history from all the prophets of God, and particularly the last prophet, Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, there was always a great emphasis by all the prophets of God, including Jesus, peace be upon him, of the oneness of God. And... um, Islam has brought it to another level by actually bringing it in within the creed, which is La ilaha illallah. There's none worthy of worship except Allah. So here, the importance from Muslims was that uniqueness, that oneness, that greatness, that magnificence, the divine being, which has no equal. And, uh, of course, the creator of all existence. So for a Muslim, that love, that dependence, that uh, obedience towards him uh, is essential. And uh, anyone who is fully under, understood and grasped this concept, then Allah is like a lamp. When you turn on a lamp, the light turns on and the light is there. You will always head towards that light and you will never want to be in the darkness. So that oneness of God is, is, is so important in that you share nothing with him. There's nothing like him nothing near him, nothing around him. There's nothing that compares to him in his being, in his nature, 
uh, in his uh, you know his oneness so this is the oneness of god it, it's a very remarkable um actual um you know depiction of of the divine being mm-hmm. but would would someone need to then first believe in the existence of god before coming on to the oneness of god and I, I just just why i want to ask that is because of the situation that we're seeing around the world today um when this the i mean we we discussed the 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 lack of morality the, mm, the, the human greed, greed um and and the problems that 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 has caused uh, and his holiness touched on this in yesterday's speech in his final session speech um that the where he stated that um the way that the world can find peace again is by turning to god this is 100% hazrat khalifatul nasih the fifth may allah be his helper profoundly explained and elaborated upon this point which in fact the world needs to hear um it, it's a case of realizing that um in the last let's say 2000 years um even less than 2000 years let's say from 17th century onwards um uh, but i would say 2000 years because of the time of jesus onwards but let's say 17th century mankind has been slowly moving away from the belief in the existence of a of a divine being and one may ask has the world been successful from 17th century up to where we are now rather we see the opposite happening we see that the world has declined in its ability to uphold justice in its ability to uphold moral ethics and principles where where the, their world became smaller and smaller in a materialistic way and by being moving away from the the divine uh, god almighty you enter into uh, an abyss of darkness and that's what it is mm. um i mean like i gave earlier on about the the example of a light of a lamp if you move away from it far enough you're in darkness you can't see anything mm. you can't you can't visualize reality you actually can't understand what reality is anymore so you can only you can only Sorry, so, go ahead. Sorry. No. So, so uh, uh, Imam Nunezar, do you think then you have to fight because of the time that we live in and the, you know, the nature of society now, that you actually have to fight like with like? So instead of um, laying down your marker, saying, "Look, you know what? There, there is, but one God, and His name is Allah," and as a true let's just say a true believer let alone a muslim you believe in that one creator but nowadays like you said you know from you know the 17th century there's been that movement away from spirituality uh the movement away from the belief of one god so therefore do we need to harken those who have moved moved away from that spirituality the oneness or the one god using the 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 tools that we have which is you know actually instead of you just making that declaration and you know believing having that you know that the the you know what's the old adage that uh leap of faith okay into the unknown we need tangibility nowadays right human beings are like that they want to see feel touch so how you know for our listeners out there can we prove the oneness of god scientifically 
That's a very good question. And um, can it be proven? My simple answer is yes. There you go. Um, <laughs> I'm, it, it can be proven. And um, I'm not a scientist. But um, if I may give this example, that um, uh, a few days ago we were celebrating, or maybe celebrating is the wrong word, we were participating in the National Islam of Ireland, Majas Qadam al Medea. And on my way from my residence, to the mosque, I was actually quickly thinking in my mind, what will I say to these young men uh, after the after the Sajjah prayers, the early morning prayers in the Durs? What will I? What, what can I say to them? So on my way, I noticed in the beautiful sky a beautiful moon and stars all around it. And the first thing that came in my mind was how great and how magnificent was uh, the creation of the divine, which is Allah, and. I said the praising Almighty Allah that we see these celestial, uh, you know, signs of the moon and the stars and the galaxy and creation and things like that, and in within that you see um, a unified um, existence, a unified um, um, observation of unity, actually. And uh, so when I got there, I started talking to him about this, that. Um, if you look deep into science in an objective way, not being biased in any way or another, um, you cannot but come to the conclusion that a divine being exists, some internal, external, I should say, intelligent being that certainly created, created everything around us. And, <coughs> excuse me, and um, the, the, the beauty about the Holy Quran, and that is the thing now, and you mentioned about uh, earlier on about you know you know uh, fight back in a way we have to show them now from the holy quran that the holy quran is scientifically 100% accurate in proving scientifically the existence and the the oneness of god almighty that the quran is full of so many verses uh, showing his existence um, about the expansion in the universe about meditation reflecting upon his creation uh, you know, take a look and take another look. When you, you become exhausted, but you will come back with the conclusion that there is a divine existence, and the, and that can be proven scientifically. Mm. <coughs> Imam, Imam uh, coming back onto the oneness of God. I mean, you've covered this um, very beautifully and eloquently uh, with the scientific and the the other ways of recognizing and understanding the existence of God. But I mean, where as you've studied Christianity um, in great, great detail, I mean, I could say that much more than a lot of Christians have. Um, how did the concept of Trinity enter Christianity and, and go against the oneness of what Jesus actually taught himself? You know what? Um, um, often when you talk about Trinity or Triune God and Tritrinism, theology, etc., etc. They they would often talk about, uh, and I, I've heard it for many years as as a Christian when I was studying studying at university in theology and philosophy, and they always brought this aspect of it's a mystery. And the thing that I find right now in my life at this point in time is that it's an absolute mystery. Where did this concept come from? Because it certainly didn't come from scripture. It certainly didn't come from the Old Testament, and it certainly did not come from Jesus himself. So the answer is simple. As Christianity evolved in time and over time, um, 
evolving in its theology and its interpretation of who Jesus was and what Jesus was. Eventually, this concept came up in fourth century, and it's it's really a fourth century concept that has nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever, and that's a fact. That's that's um, you know, I I say that very boldly that in my years of research academically, it, it's it there's no concept of it, and, and it has no place in uh, the teaching or or, or being be even associated with Jesus at all. So basically. It was a fourth-century concept, which actually, believe it or not, um, came out of an argument of the nature of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Some people were saying that um, he is God, he is part of the substance, substance of God, known as Oosia and Hamosius, they're two Greek words, um, um, which means substance, uh, part of God, uh, part of his, his uh, substance. Uh, they had to use that language to try and convince um, uh, early Christians who maybe didn't believe in that and I'm sure you've heard of this already the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD this is where all this thing came about it was a huge debate severe debate uh, academically, theologically and physically by the way they were sort of fighting each other physically because certain bishops didn't agree that Jesus was God so it's a 4th century theology which has nothing to do as I already mentioned with Jesus it, it had come about over the debate with uh, um, uh, Arian, or Arius, who debated with other bishops at that time. Uh, Oregon, who came before him, actually, in about 180 AD, um, who actually made it clear to everyone that Jesus was created like every other human being, and that he had no role in, 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 uh, the, uh, in the same position and same status as God. And it then evolved from there where others believed in the nature of God, that he was, Jesus was God himself. So that essentially, it's 4th century theology, which has nothing to do with, with Jesus whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So, we, we spoke about, and you, you touched upon, the movement away uh, from spirituality and the belief in one God uh, in recent times. Uh, I say recent times, maybe, you know, in, uh, I think you pointed out from the 17th century onwards to present day. So with that, that's aligned to this increase in atheism. And sources now say that actually an atheist society is actually a better society to live in because religion being, I mean, if, if we look at what we've, your answer to uh, the idea of Trinity is all but man-made mm. uh, in terms of that particular concept within Christianity so you know is that true what's your opinion on this then so is it better to live in an atheist society whereby there is no uh, counter argument to a one uh, a oneness uh, the oneness of God whereby you do have you know uh, differing opinions whilst is that versus uh, a, a society whereby you just live by a moral code. What is better then, in your opinion? <clears throat> well, in my opinion, after, again, I have to, I would like to stress this point. Um, I did a research paper recently, actually, I, I spoke on it actually a month ago, this paper written on this very point, on this similar to this point, actually. Um, and my own research, and I, it's not my research, the, the research is based on the Quran, it's based upon uh, prophets of God. 
Um, so if we look at um, religious history um, from the time of Adam right up to the time of Prophet Muhammad, right up to Jesus, right up to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the question we see and the thing that we observe that wherever there was a religious society, whether that was you know, Christian or Muslim or Jewish or um, Hinduism, whatever it may be, just on a religious point, this moral society was much higher and better ethically, morals, virtues were higher, and it, it created a more moral-based society, and even to a degree, peaceful society, to a degree. Now, of course, there's been conflicts, but what we've noticed and what we've observed that a religious society is creates a better peaceful world because those who act upon their religion, act upon their faith, whether whatever faith they belong to, uh, would be were observed to be more kind, more patient, more tolerant, more forgiving, and they would try their best to live uh, amicably amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Ireland, as I can give Ireland as an example, and I remember Ireland um, in that in those times. Uh, in, I was born in the kind of the end phase of this coming out of Ireland, when Ireland turned the way it is at the moment. But um, there were times in Ireland you could leave your door open, mm-hmm. and you would have no fear someone would walk into your house. You could um, go to any shop in Ireland, uh, you know, like a local newspaper shop. You wouldn't find a single pornographic magazine or any unnecessary immoral uh, uh, things in the in the shops. You could you would hardly ever hear. Uh, a police car, a siren, nothing. And the ba- the reason was, even though Ireland was a predominantly Catholic country, but people practiced their faith, mm-hmm. and therefore society was more peaceful, more loving, more caring, more um, um, uh, law-abiding. Ethical. I suppose. Yeah, lo- even including law-abiding, absolutely mm-hmm. law-abiding. Yes. So, in my opinion, would an atheist society, and I and I say this, and I hope none of my atheist friends will take offence. Uh, to me saying this because I love them all um, but the fact is would an atheist society a circular society um, bring about a more peaceful, no, the answer is absolutely not and why I say that is because um, if we go back to 17th century when the enlightenment happened where they decided that they didn't need God anymore that they were more uh, that science Science all—it was only science that they needed to to answer everything, and they had logic and rationale. They didn't need a divine being. But now, hundreds of years later, we should be asking society: Has secularism worked? The answer is no. Mm. It has failed, in my opinion. Has uh, modernism worked? No. Yes, there's some benefits to modernism in modern science, modern technologies. The fact that we can talk, I can talk to you from here in Ireland, these are the benefits. But have they, have they um, um, been successful in building the very society, moral-based society, just society, which they demand that religion didn't give them, but atheism could give it to them? The answer is absolutely not. Mm. And there are some modern contemporary uh, scholars right now, I've been, I've been researching their work, um, who are uh, sociologists, they are now asking the question, did we get it wrong? Should we have, was it right, was it wrong to push religion to the back seat? Mm. Now they're asking, maybe we have got it wrong. Maybe it's time to bring religious teaching, 
practice back into mainstream society. And I, and, I, and I fully agree with this. And I think, you know, again, the answer to your question, would an atheist-based society uh, bring about peace? The answer is no. And my, 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 my answer is emphatic in that. I would say no, I don't believe it can. I mean, I think uh, I totally agree with you there because if it were to be a utopian society, uh, you would have thought with the technolo technological advancements that we've seen in th over 300 years, we would be able to eradicate things like um, hunger. Yes, yes. It's as simple Absolutely. as that. It's as simple Absolutely. as that. Yeah. We should yeah. be able, and we are able to, eradicate world hunger. But because yeah. of whatever political... Um, motivations there are it's still going on we should be able to come to if we are such um, highbrow intellectual beings come to a detente regarding conflict whereby yeah. we know that actually the nuclear arsenals that we hold would decimate the world a thousand times over therefore it's actually, you know, it's a. They call it a deterrent, but it's it's a, it's a wooden. Well, what's the word for it? It's it's just a fallacy in that sense, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, I would totally agree with you in that. You know, one hundred percent. That actually, if it were purely a secular point of view regarding society, then why have we not achieved it yet? Yeah, it's, it's failed. It's 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 completely failed in my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I say that respectfully uh, to all those who may believe in that, but it has failed. Uh, it, it's completely failed. But if we look at, as I said earlier on, um, if you look at the life of the Prophet, you see, him in his lifetime, in his society, in his social structure, it was more peaceful in the sense of society in general. Now, the wars are something else. They were when 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 the wars were brought onto Islam. But the point is, when people acted upon justice and uh, on, on justice and love and tolerance and, and the belief of one God and all these things, it was it was a much better society. Mm. I mean, atheism, of course, is is one end of the spectrum, and you could probably say this is not this isn't the other end of it. It's they're both in a way they're aligned, and that is idolatry, shirk, associating partners with God. Mm. How? I mean, what what is the what if you can tell the concept? I mean, there is it's a very delicate issue as well. I mean, it is there's there's of course there's um, very major aspects of it, but there's a very there's a thin lining as, as well. There's a thin line of where you cross, and it turns into associating partners and in the lying as well is also one of them. But can you mm. can you explain this concept of uh, association with God? Well, I mean, the very simple illustration I'll give to you, and I have the. The fortunate, uh, um, what's the word? The word the fortunate and um, experience of this with a person um, many years ago when I was flying to um, Indonesia at the time of the the tsunami, when Hazrat Khalifa Tulmisi sent me out there, may Allah be his helper. I was on a plane next to a doctor who was sitting beside me, who was not. Um, um, an Amity doctor, but he was a doctor, no doubt, and he was obviously a very specialized, skilled, intelligent man. And um, when the plane took off, 
I started lifting my hands and doing dua and uh, obviously praying to Almighty Allah to grant me and all of us on the plane a safe journey to our destination. And um, when I finished my prayer, this person said, um, why did you do that? And I said, well, you know, I was just praying to God Almighty that to keep us all safe, all, everyone on the plane, the pilots and everyone, and that we reach our um, destiny uh, safely. And his response to me was, I don't need God, and uh, I, I put more trust in the pilots than I do in, in, the, in the divine being. Right? So I turned and I said to him that, um, you know, that in, in Islamic terminology is you are associating the brilliance of a pilot or the, the, the intelligence and the skills of a pilot over the belief in one God, and therefore that's in Arab terminology, shirk, you are associating the powers of a man over the divine being. And, and that's essentially what it is, and that is in every aspect of your life, uh, every human being, the day you start saying, I am what I am because of me and not because of anything else, that is a form of shirk. And that means if you say, I'm the best looking man in the world, my, my, my looks are fine, and my, the, the, the handsomeness of myself, uh, it's, it's my genetics, that's shirk because you should be praising God Almighty for giving you those handsome attributes, features, etc. If you say to yourself, I am wealthy because of my own ability, my own intelligence, I'm a billionaire because I did this myself, you're again shirk because you're not, uh, you're attributing your abilities rather than the ability of the divine. But that is a shirk is. And, um, and every human being needs to appreciate that everything that you have and everything that you are is based upon the, the graciousness, the Rahmaniyat and the Rahimiyat of God Almighty. And it is as simple as that. And uh, so, um, yeah, so, that's shirk, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Imam Noonan's up. Was he a Muslim then? I take it he was. He was a ex-Muslim. Yes. Oh, okay. So did he did yeah. he appreciate that? Um, you know, pointing out this this you know this delicate side of shirk to him, and did he agree? What was his opinion in the end? No, he didn't agree. Obviously, we had a bit of a long discussion, and mm. actually, we had a, an hour discussion into the flight. And, uh, it's quite a long flight uh, to Indonesia, anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, but we, but I think after an hour, two of us realised, let's leave it at that right yeah. now. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, but um, I did say to him, I did give him examples. I, I gave him one example while we we're on our way to there towards the end, and I told him of a of a, of a great companion of the promised Messiah, um, whose name is escapes my mind right now, who was actually in Indonesia, the place that we we're going to, and uh, at that time. And um, you probably were aware of this as well yourselves, where there was a fire um, uh, engulfing houses in Indonesia. And in fact, it was in the same area that we were going to, uh, Banda Acha. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I told him that this companion was in his house when, the, when the, the woods behind him, the houses next to him were engulfed in flames. And everyone pleaded with uh, this companion to come out because he was going to die if he doesn't come out. And he came out. And uh, it's a long story, but I'm cutting it short. But he came out and he told everyone, if, if, I, if the promised Messiah is not true and he's not the Mahdi and the Messiah, then I would be engulfed in flames. But if he's true, then my house will not be touched. And Alhamdulillah, uh, minutes after he said that, 
a huge thunderstorm came down and his house was saved and himself right so i was showing him this example this is where the divine steps in mm -hmm. right and now of course he was taken aback by this and in, i mean of course he was trying to think about some ideas of coincidence look all these things but really in deep down i believe he knew that yeah that's pretty that's pretty um unique and that uh, suddenly you're being engulfed and suddenly out of nowhere the thunderstorm the clouds would open so i mean this is the reality so i think the weeks later when we were talking to each other i did manage to bring him around to the point of view that yes perhaps we should be more appreciative of the possibility of the divine rather than him believing in in god himself mm. so with that do you think that modern day society whether we be in the west or wherever globally now that this movement away from spirituality movement away from the oneness of god is quite in a subtle way um taking other i suppose other concepts and associating them with god now i'll give you an example because say for instance in the western world you know mammon is has become the new god right mm. the the pursuit mm. of money the pursuit of excellence yes could that not also be taken as a, a you know a facet or a type of shirk yes because you're starting to idolize money and uh your 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 iphone which is 600 euros or 300 euros or whatever 100 mm. euros or pounds it may be you, you this is your god this is what you want and you're 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 just totally engrossed on a phone that you're willing to pay out 600 700 500 whatever the cost of them are now uh, they become your god because they become your everything mm -hmm. and uh you know i mean I, I, an example for me would be that um again that if you are a wealthy person you and you can't live without your millions because you your lifestyle will will change you you, you wouldn't have the same food on the table or the same three thousand pound euro suits cars whatever it may be so you're after money you have to have more money more money more money it's a god it is an idol and i would agree with you it is shirk in my opinion hmm. you're putting this over allah imam noon and then in this case i mean with we know even with our leaders now who are you can say swimming in pools of money hmm. how do we break that how do we yeah so get how, them? how do we cast away these you know the, the you know these 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 trappings then and how do we come to our true selves yeah and, and ultimately to god you know um again i i can only go from my own experience because i don't know about the experience of other people's i mean i can give a theological answer to this as well but um i had the blessings and the honor of um going to pakistan in 2005 in the earthquake and um i left on a friday when the earthquake happened sorry the earthquake happened on a friday I was in Pakistan on a Saturday in the evening. And I can tell you this with all truthfulness. When I saw the destruction, when I saw the, the, the traumatizing of people, when I saw the horrific injuries that I saw, when I saw death, life, I saw it all in, in that point in time. And I still remember even now we were, where we were camped in, um, in, in, in Buj in, in Pakistan, um, I, I had only one jug. I had a jug and a mirror. Okay, I, I'll explain this. You'll understand this in a minute. When, when myself and others, after weeks, because there was no showers, there was no 
hot facilities, there was no bathrooms as such. We had to use the river, the Nahar, not far from us. And I remember when I went down to wash my hair and I had a mirror with me in my bag, and that jug came the most valuable thing to me <laughs> because not only could I wash myself with it, mm. I could drink from it, mm-hmm. I can do lots of things with it. And the person beside me who was a doctor asked me, <laughs> if you allow me to use your jug, I will allow you to use my scissors, right? <laughs> and we can use the mirror together to trim our hair or whatever. And suddenly these became the most important things in our life, mm-hmm. right? So yes, when you face some um, um, experience of tragedy, it's, it clearly brings you back to reality of, of, of realization that um, this wealth and these things really can save you. The only thing that can save you is the realization of the simplicity that God has taught in our hearts to be humble and to be gratis- show gratitude that he gives us everything and he can take it away from us from in, in a second. Mm-hmm. Well, Ibrahim, uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan, thank you once again for joining us on The Drive Time Show. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank pleasure. you. Pleasure. Wa alaikum O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Any closing I mean we've covered with um I mean having the, the having someone so esteemed as Imam Ibrahim Nunan on we've covered many different angles mm-hmm. of the discussion um of of the, the oneness of God, the declaration of our faith. Yeah, I think we need to come back not just to you know, just the you know, the the facets of Actually, after making that declaration, mm. yeah, we need to do another show. We do definitely regarding that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, it is. I mean, but this can be covered in a number of shows. It's not just mm. because there's so many. There's other aspects, and we we haven't. We've got a. Uh, we've got the notes. We haven't even gone through because mm-hmm. there's, there's so many other aspects that we've um, that we we've had to discuss because of the need of the time. Mm. Um, and, and the need of the time is humanity's greed. Yeah. And How wanton, wanton uh, disregard of that oneness of God. Yeah. Coming up to the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show, Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Taliban, and Imam Tahir Khalid. And that was quite a, I suppose, in depth, yeah, in depth discussion regarding the oneness of God we had in the first hour with uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan. Uh, please call in on 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam uh, UK if you want to join in the discussion. By all means, um, give us your views. You know, are you uh, are you one of those who has actually felt that there's 
a lack of spirituality in society now. And maybe it's because of that lack of spirituality that we find ourselves in these dire circumstances. But that was the first hour. Uh, in our second hour, Tyler, what are we going to be uh, talking about? So we are talking about in this second hour is uh, we're talking about angels mm-hmm. um, and how they are divine message bearers, how they do the physical, you can say, uh, the work of God. Mm-hmm. God sends his commandments that this should be done. And postman. Then, and they do it. God's postman. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and Not ha- Royal Mail. Yeah. <laughs> they're on strike or they're going to be on strike. But angels aren't, <laughs> can never be on strike. True. And this is the concept that we want to try and um, you can say try and get into and understand mm-hmm. um, what are the I mean the status of angels but at the same time the the concept of the work their their you could say their their as as heavenly bodies mm. what did what do they do um, the type of different angels that we have um, and the need to understand them and accept them um, for our own betterment really. Um, so today's, I mean, these two hours, the first hour being on, on the oneness of God, the second hour being on God's angels, it's, 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 these two hours are predominantly um, religious-focused discussions. Mm, theological uh, discussion. Yeah. But, I mean, I suppose taking the aside regarding angels, there is that age-old, um, I suppose, image that we have in the West of an angel being you know, uh, a body with, with wings yeah. and coming down. But that's not the case, is it? Mm. That's yeah. not, you know, the, the, that's some, I suppose, marketing, you know, manifestation of what we would think of being an angel. Mm. And these cherubs, you know, these you know, kind of fat chubby kids with wings on their backs, right? Mm. And, you know, being these mythical, magical, you know, beings. But actually, ultimately, it's a bit like, uh, when I think of miracles as well, you know they don't have to be of biblical, uh, you know, you know instances uh, mm. that we've seen. I mean, obviously, you know, if you think about uh, in biblical terms, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, mm. a miracle can be as mundane as something <clears throat> happening, something very simple happening in your life. So, hence, angels can be as well. Because they're just messengers of the word of God. Yeah, and there are thousands of angels all destined and uh, all given specific tasks. Mm. Um, so there are, of course, uh, occasions when when uh, if you are spiritually elevated enough, then you can encounter angels as well. But that's something that we want to try and talk of near mm. the end of the show. Mm. Uh, but coming to the status of angels in different religions, we're going to go through and break through th- uh, a number of different religions and their the, what the belief is of the concept, of the concept really of uh, of them uh, of angels, um, but the study of angels is is actually called angelology, uh, and the great era of angelology began in the Middle Ages when the philosopher Thomas Aquinas he published many writings on this topic, and from from there the the studies kind of flourished. And medieval artists they guessed angels as humanly creatures with, I mean, like you mentioned, with wings like birds. Um, and in arts and literature, angels have often been selected as a topic through time, whereas in the Old Testament they were represented as an anonymous messenger of as anonymous messengers of God, and this image evolved via uh, Saint Dionys- Dionysius, uh, Aquinas, and uh, and the Islamic scholarship to an image of immortal beings in the heavenly realm. 
Now, coming to different religions, if you look at Judaism and in the original scriptures, the, the Hebrew word uh, malach uh, or messengers is, is used when speaking about angels. Other terms used for angels are ministers, heavenly hosts, the armies of heaven or fallen angels. The major, the major, fact, the major functions of angels is praising God. Uh, and we can see that from, from a number of different um, references from, from the Old Testament as well. Um, and additionally, they serve as intermediaries intermediaries between God and man. The Bible speaks about winged creatures of uh, angelic character called um, cherubim and uh, seraphim. And according to Jewish tradition, an angel is a spiritual being that does not have physical physical characteristics. It is believed that angels have no free choice and are pre-programmed to serve God, whereas the whereas human beings they have free will and mm. choice. Yeah, and uh, the concept of angels in Mormonism, uh, in the belief of the members of the Church of the Latter Day Saints, angels play an essential and very important role, as it is believed that the angel. Moroni taught founder Joseph Smith and introduced him to the ancient record that is translated as the Book of Mormons. This is seen as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Revelations uh, 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 6, uh, of an angel bringing forth the everlasting gospel. So, in those terms, many Mormon uh, temples also contain a statue of this very angel. Uh, a shared belief with Christians, Jews and Muslims is that angels can visit humans. Uh, a contradictory view of Mormons is that they do not believe that angels have wings. They justify this concept with the idea that men uh, were created in the image of God who is perfect. So likewise, angels don't need wings to reflect his glory, but they have the same form as man. Now in Christianity, the Bible portrays angels as messengers of God. Uh, for instance, in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, protectors of God's people uh, in Psalms, uh, chapter 91, verse 11, and bringing judgment upon God's enemies. Uh, in the Christian belief, angels are viewed as spiritual beings that God created for the purpose of serving him. Their rank is seen a little higher uh, than that of man but even between angels there are different ranks angels are endowed with superhuman strength and knowledge but they are not all-knowing another interesting fact is that angels do not reproduce nor do they marry or die they are pure spirits without physical bodies although they can interact and appear to uh, to humans furthermore two categories are described one of the unfallen angels uh, that are those who remain obedient to their creator and two, the fallen angels that disobeyed God and fell from their holy position and now stand in opposition to God. And of course, in mean, coming to another religion, we have Sikhism. Uh, and in Sikhism, the, the, their belief, the archangel uh, Azrael, or known as Azrael, uh, the personif uh, he personificates the angel of death and thereby plays an important role. He's also called Malikul Maut, which translates into Master of Death. On the Day of Judgment, he is the one who punishes evildoers or becomes the friend of the virtuous and devotees of the Lord. And we read in the Guru Granth that the angel Israel crushes the evildoers and the crushers like the sesame seed. 
And again, in another aspect, in another uh, reference in Tilang, he who is dependent on the O Lord Ajrail is the friend of that person. And then uh, another one, Ramkali Kivar, um, the rebels will be called to account, the angel Ajrail will surround them for punishment. Now coming to Islam, and this being the Voice of Islam radio station, there will be predominantly about what Islam teaches uh, about the, the concept of angels. In Islam, the, the belief in angels is essential as they count as one of the six articles of faith. And in the Holy Quran, in chapter 35, verse 2, God Almighty states, All praise belongs to Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth, who employs the angels as messengers, having wings two, three, and four. He adds to his creation whatever he pleases, for Allah has power over all things. Now, this verse points out that it is up to Allah to choose the form in which angels appear, as it is the creation of the Almighty, they are his workers. Furthermore, it is mentioned in the Holy Quran in chapter 16 verse 51 that they fear their Lord above them and do what they are commanded. So they have no, you can say, free will. They do as they are commanded. Then this comes to the the other aspect, of course, I mean, which is the level of obedience. And the, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed has shed light on the level of obedience of angels towards their creature, uh, creator in the following words. Uh, this is from his book, Aynaya Gamalate Islam, that thus through this design of God Almighty, this wonderful form of creation came into being, which is called angels. They are so lost in obedience to God that they have no will or fashion or design of their own and no personal faculties whereby they could be kind to anyone on their own or could be angry with anyone on their own, or could desire something on their own, or could dislike something on their own. They are wholly like the limbs of the divine. All the designs of God Almighty are first reflected in their transparent mirrors, and through their mediation are spread in the whole of creation. Thus the need arose for a form of creation which on the one side should be related to God Almighty, and on the other to his creation, so that they should obtain grace from one side and communicate it to the other. Mm. Um, what we'll do now is we'll play you an audio clip actually explaining uh, you know, why is it that uh, in all mainline religions that uh, angels take uh, human form when they appear to us. They are also mentioned to have appeared differently in a form which filled the whole horizon in the form of a dove or a pigeon. And... Uh, they can, they are just expressions of some existence. That existence is not, uh, cannot be observed by naked eye because a thing which is rarer than light cannot reflect light. And that which cannot reflect light cannot be seen. So first understand the reality of angels. There are certain forces like radiation here. In various forms there is radiation which is carrying the messages of uh, pictures in television and some voices and songs and music and everything. But you don't observe them unless you want to observe them through a set suitable for that reception. Similarly, angels are a path, an existence no doubt, but not in the form known to you or in a form which can be visualized by you. 
even a radiation cannot be truly correctly visualized even to even today by the scientists they have many opinions they just create models of understanding yet they don't know what radiation is so how can you visualize angels how can they appear to you only they can appear in some form which is known to you and a form which should not scare you normally if they appear in the form of human beings then they won't scare you then they will listen to them they will appear to be of your kind so their appearance in the form of human being is in fact the best way they should appear they should have appeared moreover it makes the concept of angels religious concept of angels distinct from the fairy tale if religion true religion i mean was the creation of one's mind then angels should have been been painted in that religion according to the fairy tales that were created by man in the history of a religious people who are not speaking from god whenever they imagine other beings they imagine in a completely different form to what actually appeared to the truly religious people so the appearance of angels like they appeared at the time of hazrat muhammad mustafa sallallahu alaihi is a positive proof that it was not the flight of fancy which was creating them it was a phenomena different from the ordinary from phenomena of weaving of tales and uh, they appear to be just like other human beings not something supernatural and when they disappeared only then it was realized that it was an apparition and not uh, reality in the sense that uh, there was no reality of shape it was only a reality of existence that they observed so those were the words of uh, the fourth khalifa uh, his holiness mirza tahir ahmed um describing or explaining why uh, angels uh, take a human form when they appear to us but um you know in the holy quran tahir uh, it mentions actually three types of angels what what are these the the different types of angels that we have so the number one is the particles of earthly bodies and the faculties of souls mm-hmm. number two heaven the sun the moon and the clouds of the air, the earth that are in operation number three the higher powers above all these like gabriel and michael israel and others which are called jum in the vedas the holy quran uses the word angel very frequently um and on this as well um in one of the books of the promised messiah he states that everything that hears god's voice in his angel is his angel thus every particle of the world is an angel of god for it hears his voice and obeys him so this is the aspects of the different kinds of angels they are um but angels are also safeguard they also safeguard against physical calamities but this safeguarding is to be understood in a spiritual manner For instance if a person is standing at a place where a wall is about to fall down no angel will lift him up with his hands and take him away from that place if that person is destined to be saved an angel would convey to him the warning that he should move away but the protection of star the stars and elements etc this is all physical um again another aspect is why angels are not visible is is um, i mean to our, to our eyes um they are of course 
imperceptible, then how can they be visible to our physical eyes? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just to re- to re- reiterate that question, meaning that if the Holy Spirit is appointed to restrain a person from evil conduct, then why does he commit sin and why is he involved in disbelief and disobedience? The answer is that God Almighty has for the purpose of testing man appointed two spiritual callers, one caller to good, whose name is the Holy Spirit, and the other caller to vice, whose name is Iblis and Satan. These two callers only call to good or evil, but do not exercise any compulsion. Another question, how does the universe operate according to Islam, and what role do the angels play in the general scheme of things? Now, to answer such questions about about this topic, the, the second caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, he gave a speech on December the 28th, 1920, entitled Malaikatullah, the, the angels of God. And um, he writes that they, the meaning the angels, are the last link for the fulfillment of laws of nature. All that happens around us, the rain falling, wind blowing, the rays of sun reaching earth, the poisons having its poisonous effects, antidote working against poisonous effects, are all due to acts of angels. Nothing can work on its own. It does not mean that poison is not poison itself. It is, but unless the angel permits it, cannot do its work. Similarly, the antidote will not work unless permitted by the angel. It is abundantly clear from the Holy Quran and about the functions assigned to angels. It is proven that all that is physical and visible to us is divisible in smaller into smaller and yet smaller particles leading into ethereal, uh, ethereal meaning latif, mm-hmm. and incomprehensible and imperceptible world. Obviously, it gets its energy from a source not easily visible because of its size and size of particles is it is compromised of or it is comprised of. There is hidden wisdom in all of this system. It is at those smallest of the smallest and ethereal places where angels operate to fulfill their duties. When we study physical world and its and its causes and effects, we find observations leading to a world small in size, particles leading to subparticles, all of it invisible to our to our eyes. Solid matter changing to gases and even more ethereal in nature. And finally, it is said, the matter changing to energy and sources of these energies are the angels. Mm. And, you know, to follow up on that, you know, we've got another audio clip uh, speaking about the nature of angels and, you know, what they are meant to be. Uh, Could you throw some light on the nature of angels and with particular reference to the phenomenon which is called descent of angels, especially in troubled times such as we are facing. This subject has been discussed at some length by Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Sani in his book Malaikatullah. It's a very interesting book. I had it republished in, from Pakistan some time ago, but I wonder if it uh, reached uh, Europe as well. It's very important that uh, modern, in the modern age, Ahmadi youth in particular should read that book. Because this is a very important question which agitates everybody's mind. 
what is the nature of angels, how, what is the, their descent and uh, what is their performance and everything. And I have been speaking on this subject occasionally. But now, I think once again I should let you know, number one, that whatever has been said by Hazrat Muslim Maud is uh, fundamentally found in Hazrat Muslim Maud's writings. In his uh, commentary of the Holy Quran, he has mentioned angels many a time, and uh, he has given us the keys to understanding of the angels. On the same theme, Hazrat Muslim Maud has developed the full concept of angels and their task and so on, and it's a very interesting book. Now, as regards your question, in particular, the descent of angels, what it means. It means the application of a hidden law which is organized under orders. For instance, if there is a, a heat, I mean radiators for providing heat to the room are already provided here, but they are not operative. They are potentially here, but not in operation. So if you order them to be, to go into operation, that would be, uh, according to the terminology of religion, the descent of the order. Because there the order comes from Allah and uh, whatever comes from the high on, it always takes as if a route down below, towards below, because nothing is above Allah. So whatever comes from Allah is called Nuzul, which is descent. And whatever is ascending towards, is going towards Allah, gaining uh, spiritual closeness to Him is, is called to be ascending. That is Rafa. So, Nuzul here means, because angels are also above the material world, somewhere they are situated, of course, uh, uh, in this world as, uh, as bodies which exist. But those bodies are so rare that we don't know the, what the form be. If there is anything by the name of ether, maybe they are ethereal bodies, we don't know anyway. But they are not material bodies, that we know. So, according to Islamic terminology, whatever is rarefied, more ethereal as compared to the other types of existence, is placed higher. And that which is material, more or coarser in form, that is, uh, you know, on the on the low side. So whenever you read Rafa, Nuzul, these terminologies, they are only given to set the direction. So because angels happen to be situated in this order, higher than the material beings, so whenever they are put into operation, it is called their descent. Now, Hazrat Masih has mentioned the role of angels as number one, guardians of things, laws of nature, and controller of things, and organizer of things, and responsible for all the direction which is given to the law of universe. It's not running by itself automatically. For every law, there is a controlling angel which has a consciousness and which puts that law into operation. And under that angel, 
unknown number of angels, hosts of angels, are working in every direction to continue, to give continuation to that law. And this is the general system that, that we find in existence in, this, in the world which is unknown to us materially. But all that we see is ultimately governed by those unknown, unseen laws. And uh, they begin to travel from material to those ultimate unknown forces. Like uh, we have now discovered that things ultimately end up into radiations. All form of material is in fact packed up bundles of energy. You release them and they become waves and things and disappear. Yet they are very powerful and, and uh, the whole thing will melt away apparently into nothing, but na that nothing would be effectively in effect and in, in commotion much greater than their dormant uh, form of material matter. So the same phenomena is extended, if it's extended further, everything which is unknown or unseen is governed and controlled by some forces created by Allah. And those are angels. Now these angels are also um, divided into subsections for various, uh, for the performance of various tasks. And uh, sometimes they are also individualized. They just do not govern the general laws, but they are particularly assigned certain tasks where they put certain laws in operation where necessary. They are given tasks to watch certain situations and guard them. And during certain phenomena, such angels are particularly given very important tasks and appointments. For instance, when a messenger of Allah comes, their task is to control the whole phenomena of nature in the favor of the messenger and to upset all disadvantages which he has as against the material overwhelming forces which oppose him. And uh, also to safeguard his interests in detail and wherever necessary to turn hearts in his favor, to create atmospheres which would ultimately benefit him. Or if that does not happen, or Allah does not so will, then to destroy his opponents totally and annihilate them. Now all these phenomena are not normal natural phenomena, though they are created through natural phenomena, not unnatural ones. But here the natural phenomena, natural laws of nature are governed in a certain direction and they are ordered to produce certain results which if left alone would not produce those results. The verse which you have pointed out is the, is the verse which I recited in the in 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 uh, tonight. That those who say Allah is our Lord and sustainer, and then despite all opposition, they remain steadfast and stick to this claim, angels descend upon them. Here tatanazalo means uh, 
intensely, very often, repeatedly, angels descend upon them with a message, La takhafu wala tahzanu, do not be afraid and do not be sorry for what you have lost. <coughs> this is the verse which you had in mind perhaps because uh, when you asked, I thought I, my mind was referred to this verse. Now here the descent, according to what I have explained, would mean, number one, those special laws are put into operation, which are uh, already in existence potentially, but are not operative, and uh, which follow the general law, that I and my messengers would definitely emerge victorious. Under this general law, these small laws come into operation. Angels descend in two forms then. Number one, they begin to uh, bring those laws into operation which I have just mentioned, which would work in favor of those who are being tortured and persecuted merely for the crime of claiming that Allah is our Lord. Secondly, they also descend in dreams, sometimes in uh, visions, sometimes they speak verbally to them and uh, that is what we call ilham, a revelation of this form. <coughs> and sometimes they strengthen the hearts without any vision, any dream, any spoken word, but somehow the person who is suffering, he receives that strength from within and he is more reassured than perhaps any words could put him to, into. Uh, I mean, they, they find, such people find themselves in a more state of, better state of reassurance than just ordinary words of consolation and things could do. So these are the angels who are particularly assigned the task of running this phenomena, organizing this phenomena and sometimes certain people are particularly assigned with certain angels and they are realities. They are not just psychological impressions. They in reality exist and they are powers created by Allah to perform the duties which are assigned to them. So when they say don't fear, they situate that all the factors which are caused creating fear are ultimately defeated and removed. And when they say do not be sorry for what you have lost, then they also situate that their losses are somehow compensated. So that is just not a vain talk because they are powerful uh, beings which have uh, a say in the matter of the universe. They see to it that things are moving in that direction. So this is uh, the meaning of descent, that these forces come into operation according to the will of Allah.
أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio assalamualaikum peace and blessings to all our listeners out there welcome back to the drive time show uh, you're here live with myself taliban and imam tahir halid so we're talking about um angels and their significance and you know we've heard in the words of the fourth caliph uh, his holiness mirza tahir ahmed um head of the amadiyya muslim community regarding the essence of um and the nature of angels so that explanation puts it more in a i suppose uh, palatable way mm. uh in some senses and it's moving away from uh those images that we have from uh christianity of uh human or or angels taking human form and having wings and being Uh, able to kind of like ascend to the heavens uh, and the other explanation i think tyre that um actually it is those subatomic uh, particles that you know th- even this if we give it modern technology nano right nanomites could be termed as a form of angels mm, yeah 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 you know some way of facilitating um how uh you know things happen whether uh, it be of a medical uh, nature or a virus or whatever but to talk more regarding uh angels and their nature uh and their perspectives uh, we're joined by Imam Rabib Mirza uh, Imam Rabib Mirza is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and no stranger to our show yes of course uh, almost the third wheel the guest the, the not guest the co-host uh peace and blessings be upon you Imam Rabib Mirza thank you for joining us on the drive time show peace be upon you as well peace be upon all the listeners and jazakallah uh, once again for having me no no always a pleasure so we're talking about uh, uh you know angels So what is the Islamic uh, perspective on the presence of angels? So with regards to angels um Islam of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him the Holy Quran has mentioned belief in angels as a fundamental tenet. So alongside believing in God Almighty alongside believing in God Almighty's prophets the holy scriptures that were revealed the decree of good and bad mm-hmm. uh belief in angels is also a fundamental tenet within islam mm. because uh, we were just uh, we we'd actually had audio from uh, his holiness mirza tahir ahmed uh, regarding that uh, about the nature because it's you know the, the the ability of angels to actually occupy i suppose three duties that are um i suppose given to them by allah taala god almighty that uh, they're not just messengers uh, but they also fulfill other requirements of uh, god so i mean how much does the concept of angels differ then in islam or between islam and christianity is it these three different aspects that you know islam 
uh, or abilities and duties that uh, uh, angels have within Islam. Is that the major difference between uh, how uh, we view them in Islam versus Christianity? So, uh, of course, as, as you so rightfully said, um, that there are three types of angels um, that the Holy Quran mentions. So the first is um, with regards to the particles of earthly bodies and the faculties of souls. The second type of angels are, you know, the heaven, the sun, the moon, and the clouds of the earth that are in operation. And the third are the higher powers above all of these, like uh, the archangel Gabriel and Michael, Israel, and others, which um, have also been mentioned in the Hindu scriptures. And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has uh, elaborated upon this and uh, even further stated that the Holy Quran uses the word angel very frequently. Everything that hears God's voice is his angel. Thus, every particle of the world is an angel of God, for it hears his voice and obeys him. Mm. But the difference, I would say, that is between the concept of angels within Islam and Christianity uh, is that the Holy Quran has stipulated with regards to the functioning of the angels that uh, whatever they are instructed, um, they act accordingly and they adhere to it. However, there is this concept within Christianity that uh, angels can fall. And what I mean to say is that the concept of uh, Satan is that, or Lucifer, if you want to put it, is that he is a fallen angel. Um, and somehow this concept even crept up amongst uh, certain Muslim denominations, where in the Holy Quran, um, you know, Iblis uh, and the other angels were commanded by God Almighty to submit before Adam, but uh, Iblis did not. And somehow this concept came that he was a fallen angel, whereas we see that this concept of fallen angels has actually been taken from uh, the concept within Christianity. Mm -hmm. So this is the main difference. Otherwise, uh, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, he delivered a lecture uh, which is entitled Malaikatullah or the Angels of God. Mm -hmm. um, and this was at uh, a, an annual convention uh, in the my memory serves correct, um, it was 1924. Mm -hmm. uh, and in that, he actually expounded very in great detail with regards to the functionalities of the angels. And he even further mentioned about how the um, closest religion to Islam with regards to the concepts of angels is Zoroastrianism. Um, the religion that was uh, spread in uh, Persia, and it was founded by uh, Prophet Zoroaster. So, again, this there is this slight difference, but other than that, more or less, the concept of angels is the mm. same, more or less. Mm. So, you know, within Islam, you know, they they uh, it's actually counted, or the belief in angels is counted as an article of faith. Yeah, how comes uh, angels are given so much importance in Islam then? 
Well, the promised Messiah, um, peace be upon him, has uh, mentioned um, with regards to angels, and he's actually um, mentioned uh, within, or I would say that he's penned a book uh, which expounds upon the concept or the reality of angels, and this book is known as the Elucidation of Objectives. Now, there's the, again, this is a fair question, why Islam um, has stressed with regards to angels, and the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he's mentioned in one place um, how angels are uh, external means of the fulfillment of our spiritual needs, um, Again, this is one aspect of the answer, but there's other aspects of the answer. Mm-hmm. So he stated, um, it's quite a long quote, but I would just um, you know, mention uh, one passage from there. He states, in order to accept the existence of angels, the easiest way is that we should direct our reason to the following. It is admitted that for the training and perfection of our bodies, and in order... Uh, and in order and in order that the desired actions of our senses should be carried into effect, God Almighty has promulgated the law of nature that the elements and the sun <laughs> and the sun and the moon and all the stars have been pressed into service, that they should help our bodies and faculties to perform all their functions in the best manner possible. Mm-hmm. We cannot escape from the verity that our eyes cannot perform their function by their own light, unless they are aided by the light of the sun, and our ears cannot hear anything by the faculty of hearing unless they are aided by the air. Does this not prove that divine law has ordained that the perfection of our faculties should be achieved through external means, and that our nature cannot dispense with the help of external means? If we will observe carefully, we will find that not in one or two matters, but for the perfection of all our senses and faculties and powers, we are dependent upon external help. And he goes on to uh, further mention about how, you know, if there is these means uh, in uh, the external um, life or, you know, in in our day-to-day lives, Mm -hmm. then there also has to be the same system endowed within the spiritual system as well. So therefore, for our spiritual perfection and spiritual performance, God Almighty has also uh, created the angels to support and to fulfill it. Mm, mm, mm. Imam Rabib, I mean, we we understand that um, obviously God Almighty is independent. Um, But then the question arises, what what is the need for angels and how do these angels carry out the works of God Almighty? Yeah, if God is omnipotent, right, why does he need angels? It's a a very interesting question and I'll put the answer before you uh, in the manner that uh, the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, gave. Now, just... To be, you know, just to put it very simply, when we work, um, you know, we ask some. Sometimes we ask this person or we ask that person that please uh, go and get us a glass of water or please do this work for us and do that work for us, even though we are able to do it. So it's like that system uh, where God Almighty, of course, 
he can do everything, but he has delegated the work out as well. And furthermore, if you want to put it into this perspective as well, if you were to see that there are so many people that have created things, um, and you know, the, the reason why they've created these things is fundamentally for the benefit of mankind, but uh, you know, let's just take the example for the various different makers of cars. You know, they desire they desire to show their ability to the world that look we've uh, created this great car or we've created this great mechanism within the car so the same way god almighty shows his his power and omnipotency in this manner that even though he is able to do everything yet he has delegated the work out and the work is done in accordance to his own will otherwise if the work had not been done, done to his own will, then you would see absolute chaos in the in the whole system um, of the world. So that's why we see that though there are angels that have been delegated with these tasks, fundamentally it is God Almighty who is commanding them and guiding them, informing them that these tasks are there to be done. And that's why we see complete balance and harmony in the world. Imam Rabi Mirza, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and we hope you have a great day. Thank you very much once again. Thank you so much for having me. 0208687 is the number to call us on. I mean, this, this topic of uh, angels is, of course, it is... Um, I mean, this 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 goes way back into history mm-hmm. uh, and throughout time, really. It, I mean, there are different concepts which we've um, uh, which we've tried to to discuss in today's show as well. Um, and and of course, there are although there are different views, uh, they they also many f- major faiths. So they show similarities as well. Um, and we as humans, we are surrounded by angels in every aspect of our being and most importantly angels deliver God's message to us without the angel Gabriel revealing the holy words of the holy Quran upon the prophet of Islam Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him the religion of Islam would not have commenced therefore we see angels play an indispensable role in God's perfect system Mm. and uh, just to conclude the show we're going to play you an audio clip as to how or has the angel Gabriel ever appeared again after? And so we're going to uh, end with that audio clip uh, for you guys out there. Uh, a big shout out to our producers for this uh, show, for um, the oneness of God and angels. Uh, to our technician, or our technical staff, Habib. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, to my co-host, Imam Tahir Khalid. This was... Uh, Drive Time Show Monday. Thank you very much. The fact is that Hazrat Jibreel is first to be defined what he is before you understand the whole phenomenon. According to most of the non-Ahmadis, Hazrat Jibreel is a sort of single person, limited in space, very much like a human being. And he has to run about for performing these duties of revelation, conveying revelation from one to... If Allah wants to reveal to so many people together, He would run personally that errand and deliver the messages and then go back to Allah and rest. So, they think that He was perhaps tired and He has been put to rest forever now. 
he would never be bothered. This is not the concept of Hazrat Jibreel as we understand from the Holy Quran and as we understand from the uh, traditions of Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Number one, we believe that Jibreel is the supreme power which controls the phenomena of conveyance of Allah's will to others and it requires many steps in between. If you want to convey your voice to somebody else, apparently it's so simple. One is speaking and uh, the other is listening. But you know how many steps are involved? There has to be a, there has to be a vocal cord and a, a, a full system of vibration which should be compute, computerized and fully controlled by the brain nerve. For each variation in voice, there should be a signal that should be received by that cord, which is called vocal cord, and it should vibrate in exact accordance with the order. Now that very system is so highly complicated that so far it is impossible for man to create that system because the shades in the voice, in the meaning, which are produced daily, not only by human beings but also by the animals, they require such high computerization that so far man has not been able to create such a thing. So, for the conveyance, the system of the air and uh, the system that uh, vibrations should be kept pure in the air despite other disturbances and then it's uh, entering the brain through the vibrating uh, um, receptacle in the air and then it's conveyance through the drum, eardrum to the nervous system and then it's decoding because it immediately gets converted into pulses again. And for those pulses to be understood by the brain that is deciphered and then the relevant information is immediately sent to all the various departments of the, of the brain for their comments on that voice. For instance, when Akram speaks to me after a long time, uh, that voice which I hear is not only received by the brain, it is sent to all the memory cells. Do you remember, do you remember with this question? And some cells respond back that yes, we heard it on such and such date. Some say we're confused about the date but we hear, heard it okay. Some said we heard a similar voice but we are not sure whether it was Akram or somebody else. And some say we remember not only the voice but the view system gets involved. He says, why don't you ask my advice? I remember which place it was, what was the atmosphere, how the wind was blowing and uh, how I was feeling. Then the mood comes in and it budgets. He says, why don't you ask me what mood was I in? So the mood tells that, that department tells you that uh, that was a very pleasant mood so that it is the same pleasant memories which have been carried in the voice which made you so pleased about it. All this is done in a fraction of a second so short 
that it could be done in a millionth of a second or even less. And hundreds of thousands of miles are covered for this information. So this is just carrying the voice of a human being to another human being. So how could you believe that Allah creates a system of regulation, conveyance of Allah's will to human beings and there is no such system involved. Not only it is involved, but it is highly complicated and delicate system and well controlled. And for the authority which controls all this is called Jibrail, the chief. He is directly involved if the revolution is important. If it is less important, lesser authorities under him get involved. Like the Holy Quran tells us, Inna lazina kalu rabbun Allahu, summas taqamu, tatanazzalu alayhimul malaikatu, Allah taqafu wala taqamu. Those who say Allah is our Lord and He is sufficient as our Lord, and then they show steadfastness despite opposition. Allah's angels, now here malaika are, are mentioned in plural, large number. They descend repeatedly upon such people, talking to them, giving them messages. So if revelation is finished, how, what, what are these angels doing here in the Holy Quran? Why are they mentioned there? They are under, serving under the same force which is called Jibrail, which is the ultimate symbol of revelation. And even that Jibrail is not stopped. And it is not, his coming is not limited to any prophet. used to pray for his, some of his companions and used to say, Ayyada kallahu biruhil qudus. That ruhil qudus is exactly Jibreel. That Allah help you with the company of ruhul qudus. So that ruhul qudus which descended on wasallam was made available by him so generously to all his followers that he would pray for them to receive the company of, of Jibreel. But now a different world has come into creation among the Muslims. They have broken all touch with the realities of Islam. They have left their God in, in the past. They have left their Prophet in the past. They have left all that is good. In the past, neither the angels descend anymore, nor the Jibrail has any work to do. All they have to do is to fight their battles in between. They cannot refer things to God because He doesn't speak anymore to them. So all this is the sign of a decadent society. <coughs> Islam is a living force. It cannot compromise with such stupid ideas which ultimately not only kill the religion but the source of religion that is God. You leave the revelation behind in the past and gradually your God will must die out perforce. First he will disappear in reality, in essence, though verbally you may go on believing in him. But the one who does not play any part in your life, only one-sidedly receives your worships and you don't know even whether he is truly receiving them or not, how can you really be, begin, continue to believe in him? 
So this atheism, this lack of sincerity in religion, all this creeps in as diseases and ultimately the death overtakes. This is the phenomena through which most tragically the most, most of the Muslims are passing through.